Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. Welcome to episode four of the Front Office Exchange podcast. Our guest today is David Perkins, Chief Operating Officer for USA Baseball. Okay, so full disclosure, David was my first boss in a full-time role. And then after I moved to New York, got married and returned to North Carolina, he hired me back. Uh, In the eight years with David, I learned a ton. I'm not sure if I've ever seen someone devour news and information Uh, as much as he does. And of course, he listens to podcasts. And as a podcast junkie, he was my first call when I started this podcast and needed some advice. Uh, Probably my most vivid memory from my time with Perk, or Perkins as he's almost universally known, is back in 2003 on my first week on the job as a marketing coordinator. When I came back, I was director of media and public relations. But he called me just minutes after the final out was made in an Olympic qualifier that unfathomably left Team USA on the outside of the Athens Olympic Games looking in. Part of my job was going to be to help market USA Baseball as the new show in town in the Triangle area of North Carolina. But the other part was to help market the organization in general and build on the momentum coming off a gold medal with Tommy Lasorda in Sydney in 2000. Needless to say, I was panicking, but David was calm. Uh, He said, look, don't worry, we'll get through this. And although it wasn't easy, we did. It's been amazing to watch USA Baseball's explosive growth in recent years. And I think you'll enjoy hearing from one of the industry's rare executives that's been with one organization his entire career. So without further ado, USA Baseball's David Perkins. All right, David, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jake. I'm I'm glad to be here and um, glad to be one of your uh, one of your first guests, if not the first, at least one of the first guests. Yeah, this could very well also be the last one. So just <laughs> FYI, I appreciate you helping me get this off the ground and also sync. Is that a reflection on how I'm going to do with this interview? If this is the last, is that a reflection? On how you're <laughs> yeah, do I didn't mean for that to quite come out like you were going to sync it personally, and that this podcast would, but. You never know, Perk. You never know. That was a red button. I may just end this uh, end this before we get going. That would not be good. Uh, well, hey, so what's going on with you right now? I know this is uh, – we are recording this the beginning of August. I know the early, the May, June, July. Heck, you, you're probably earlier than that now. But what is – what are you working on right now? Sure. You know, right now we've got um, two national teams on the road. We've got our 15U national team. They're in uh, Japan right now competing at the World Championship, and we have our 12U national team in Mexico competing at a Pan Am Championship. Um, so we're right in the thick of the summer programming. For us, we're, you know, we're heavy from June 1 through about Labor Day weekend. Um, you know, I like to say it's, it's similar to a minor league team, except for the fact that there's never a day off. So um, we really go strong for about three months in there. Um, we had a great start of the summer earlier this year with um, our collegiate national team, uh, winning a series down in Cuba, three games to two. First time we've ever won a series down in Cuba like that. And um, that really rolled into a great summer again with two national teams now at some different age levels on the road. Well, I, I know firsthand how busy you are. Um, but chief operating officer now for the last several years for USA Baseball, but that is not how you started, and you are the rare breed, my friend. Uh, more and more now you see someone that's jumped from you know, career to career, team to team, industry to industry. You, know, you could probably look at my resume and you could see that um, firsthand. 
you have been with USA Baseball from the beginning. Um, so this won't be that long of a conversation in terms of transitions, um, but you have risen literally from intern to C-suite. So why don't you walk us through the last, what you've been there, you're about 72, you've been there about 35 years. So right? 40 years now. Um, <laughs> I actually, Abner Doubleday and I actually invented baseball. And uh, <laughs> Right. No, I was uh, I was fortunate. I um, I was a student at the University of Arizona at the time, and um, I like to tell the story that uh, USA Baseball had just moved from New Jersey out to Tucson, Arizona, and posted a internship opportunity with the organization. Again, this is 1998, so so many many years ago. Uh, two resumes came in for one position, and that'll tell you how much the world of sports and sports employment has changed. Um, the fact there were only two resumes for this one position. I was fortunate enough, I interviewed for it during a, a spring training game. Uh, the Rockies were playing the uh, the athletics, if I remember correctly. Uh, I was offered the internship, and that really kicked things off. So that was, you know, a little over 18 years ago now. And, um, you know, I like to say that I, I was the intern that never really left. So I continued my internship after it was done. Uh, initially, uh, had another year of internship with the organization, and then got hired on full-time. Uh, in January of 2000, so been here now full-time just over 16 years, which is amazing to think about um, what's happened during that time to this organization, how much things have changed here, and, you know, it's been an exciting run here for USA Baseball, and I, I like to say I think it's only beginning. Now, how have you changed personally? Uh, I think your first role, correct me if I'm wrong, was in merchandising, um, and then now you are overseeing I know it's marketing, merchandising, media, um, really the strategic vision of all of those things as it relates to all of the national teams, uh, events, and things like that. So how has the scope of your role changed uh, even in the last few years? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you touched on a number of different things, and I have been so fortunate to have um, joined this organization at a time uh, it was relatively small. There were six full-time staff members, if I remember correctly, maybe seven, a uh, budget of just over $2 million a year. And I've had the good fortune of being here when both those things have exploded in terms of the number of staff, uh, the size of the, the budget we work with on an annual basis. And that has given me opportunities to continue to explore new areas. So, you know, when you think about my job today, what does it entail? You know, it's a it's a broad range of things that we have going on at any given time. You know, I'm focused right now on uh, where are we getting new staff from, where are we getting new qualified staff from, how are we retaining the staff we have here, things that, you know, uh, you know five, six, seven years ago I wasn't concerned with from a day-to-day -day perspective. You know, those are the kind of things now that take up a lot of my time, building out, you know, staff hierarchies. Uh, what is this organization going to look like, not just in 2017, uh, but as you look beyond 2020, 2025, you know, what's a 10-year vision for how this whole thing comes together? Um, also spending a lot of time right now focused on um, redefining our marketing and sponsorship program. Uh, it's something that um, we're spending some, some real energy on. We've brought a uh, marketing person on in-house, um, something we haven't had in a number of years. Um, she's focused on really kind of building relationships with our current partners, and then seeing where new opportunities exist, both with them and then with, um, you know, companies and organizations we may not have spoken to before. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's another project that's on the horizon for us, um, which I'm spending a, a good amount of time on. I like to call it a digital community. 
but we as an organization have you know, probably not done a great job of capturing and communicating with our constituents on a regular basis. And it's been an initiative of ours over the last few years, really begun to get some steam in the last few months, and uh, really beginning to build out what does a digital community look like from a communication standpoint, what are the different opportunities from fundraising, merchandising, uh, letting people know about the next event within their age pipeline. So a number of different things like that that are, you know, that have my time right now. What was that move like for you? Um, you were on the search committee, uh, correct, to move USA Baseball from Arizona to North Carolina. I'm sure that was an amazing experience for you as you looked at all of the, the cities that were bidding. But for you personally, that's a cross-country move. And people do that every day, obviously. Uh, but was there any hesitation on your part? Was that a, a point in your career where you said, you know what, I, I'm I'm an Arizona guy. I went to Arizona. This might be a, a good point for me to say I'm going to stay on the West Coast and, and best of luck to the USA. You know, to be honest, not really. You, you alluded to it, Jake. I, I was born in Tucson. I went to the University of Arizona. And, you know, for many ways for me, it was an opportunity to see what else was out there. I had had the chance and the opportunity to travel a lot with the organization uh, prior to the relocation here, um, but I hadn't ever put roots down anywhere else. So for me personally, um, I looked at it as an exciting opportunity. And, you know, I, we have this conversation when we're, whether we're interviewing intern candidates, whether we're interviewing full-time candidates, you know, what's that going to be like if we're asking you to relocate across the country? And often that's an interesting answer we get from people. But for me personally, um, I looked at it as an opportunity and something that was very exciting. And now it's been, what, 13 years since we relocated here. And, you know, I, I love Arizona. I was back there a few weeks ago, but I can't imagine calling anywhere else home other than North Carolina at this point. We absolutely could not be happier back here. Now, you mentioned interns, full-timers, bringing them on. Uh, USA Baseball, and I mean this uh, with all due respect, it, it's it's weird. It's hard to explain. Having done it and trying to explain what it is, what we do, and how there's only 11 full-timers running this giant organization. And I know you've doubled it, but still, you know, 20 to 30 full-timers now, whatever it is you are, um, it's a really interesting space that it occupies within sports. So how have you seen that morph uh, over the years? And when you're bringing on interns and full-timers, because it is such an interesting space in that you interact closely with Major League Baseball, with the NCAA, with your constituent members who you referred to earlier, with different vendors, partners, you touch so many parts of the sports industry. Um, you know, I'm, I'm asking a, a several different questions here, but you know, what type of intern, what type of full timer do you look for, and how do you shape the conversation when someone is someone asks you, could you please explain USA Baseball? Sure. You know, um, we have grown immensely. We're now 25, 26 full time staff members. Uh, we run a, an annual internship program. We like to call them coordinators as opposed to interns because we think it more reflects the level of work and the commitment they're making to the organization and the commitment that we're making to them. Um, but a coordinator program of about another 25, 26 individuals. So when you come through the office here during the summer months, we'll be 50 strong with staff. 
And one of the things that we like to tell the coordinators at the outset of the interview process and then during the course of their time with us throughout the spring and summer and in some cases the fall is that this organization can't function without them. This is not an internship opportunity to come in, get coffee. Um, I'm amazed how many times during an interview we'll ask somebody, tell us about what you did last summer. And their response is, well, I spent a lot of time uh, browsing the Internet, reading a book at my desk because the company I was working for didn't have a lot for me to do. And that is certainly not the case with USA Baseball. We send coordinators on the road domestically. We send them on the road internationally with teams. Uh, we just had a coordinator come back from being in Japan and Cuba with our collegiate national team. So we try to open their eyes, I think, from day one that this is a experience and an opportunity uh, that is unique, we feel, uh, but is also something that we think is going to lead them down a great path in life and give them um, an experience they're just not going to be able to get anywhere else. When it comes to full-time staff um, and asking people whether it's to relocate here, whether it is people that are already in the community that we're interviewing for positions, um, so much of what we're trying to do is do a quick education on the organization above and beyond what someone can read online and making sure that from a culture fit, you know, these are people that are going to fit within the culture of the organization and they're people that ultimately we feel like have a long-term opportunity to grow with us. We're looking for people that, you know, we can look and say, yeah, where is this person four or five years from now? You know, probably not in the same position that they're in today because we are growing so quickly. What does that look like for them a few years down the road? And where do we see them fitting in at that point? So, you know, I'm not sure if I answered that multitude of questions you threw at me there. Jim, yeah. But, you know, hopefully that kind of gives a little bit of perspective on the conversations that we have internally uh, as we look at hiring both coordinators and full-time staff, but then also externally with them, too, whether that's during the interview process, whether that's during the onboarding process, or just ongoing continuing dialogue with them during their employment. What would you attribute to this explosive growth that you guys have seen? Uh, even over the last two years, you know, kind of witnessing this from the sidelines, you mentioned you're up to 25, 30 people, which is more than double uh, where it was in 2012. Was there one you know, tipping point, so to speak, or has it really just ramped up over the last few years? You know, I think a lot of it goes back to something that happened here in 2006 um, and 2007. So I'm going back about 10 years, um, which was work by the organization, uh, really spearheaded by Paul Seiler, our executive director, and Mike Gasky, our president. Um, and I was kind of brought along for the ride, which was awesome. But it was the development of a relationship with Major League Baseball. And really for the first time, certainly in the time that I had been with the organization, and I think others who had been here longer than me would say really in the history of the organization, we had some financial flexibility. You know, we're a not-for-profit organization. We're a 501c3. And I think all too often um, we found ourselves kind of living, you know, day to day as opposed to having the flexibility to plan and to take some risks and take some chances. And with the opportunity to partner with Major League Baseball, with some of the um, stability they were able to, to provide us with, um, I think that really set us on a course of being able to grow as an organization and do more and more things. And when you look back at how the organization has evolved just in the last 10 years, you know, two new national team programs with a 12-year national team and a women's national team. 
two development programs for 14 new athletes and 17 new athletes, um, a whole new range of events that we're offering, and then now everything going on on the sport development side of the organization that's really launched in the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think that relationship has really been um, a key for us uh, as we, you know, the tipping point, for lack of a better word, was probably really that relationship. All right, let's go back to coordinators, which I, I do like that term. You're right. I, I, the, the people in those roles for you do go above and beyond what you might see in other intern roles. So going back to coordinators and uh, other full-timers that you're trying to bring on, who are you looking for or what are you looking for? And something that I talked with Danny Sink about in golf in the last episode is that there's a, uh, a common misconception that you need to be a scratch golfer for the USGA to hire you. So are you looking for former college, former pro baseball players? Or are you, when you sit down, you, you've got your mind open and you're looking for the best candidate? Well, you know, I, I think it obviously depends on the role you're trying to fill. Uh, we fulfilled an 18U national team program director position here uh, at the start of this calendar year, and we were certainly looking for somebody that had extensive background in the sport. Now, whether that was as a player, whether that was as a coach, or in the case of the gentleman that we hired, he had you know many years of experience as a scout. So, you know, in that kind of a role, you're looking for somebody who certainly had um, baseball background, but could also bring strong administrative skills to the table. And that's really true anytime we're looking at a program director, is somebody who can combine those two elements. You know, on another side of the business, um, you look at, for example, the, the marketing uh, person we brought on board in May of this year. You know, she's a recent grad of Clemson, um, very sports-minded, um, has a good knowledge and understanding of the sport of baseball, um, but also brings a great personality and is somebody that you can see engaging with people on a regular basis, um, and certainly somebody that, again, is strong administratively. Um, we recently hired a, a new uh, digital media director, and she came to us from the state of Minnesota, and, you know, she had a sports background. She had been working with a couple of the teams up in Minnesota, um, also had some e-commerce background. You know, she understood the sport of baseball, but, you know, that was not her bread and butter. Her bread and butter was really design and photography. So, you know, it's, it's probably not a one-size-fits-all solution. You know, I like to fall back to culture. And when we meet somebody, when we see somebody, um, and when we really get to know somebody, do we think there's somebody that is going to fit into the culture here and ultimately somebody that is hungry enough to continue to grow with the organization? Um, you know, we want those people working here that are always looking for the next opportunity within USA Baseball. You know, at times that means they end up looking at opportunities outside the organization because they're growing, and that's, that's fine. You know, we, we support that. But we're looking for somebody that isn't going to be complacent and doesn't just want to end up where they started here. We're looking for someone that's got the energy, the motivation uh, to try to advance or is willing to advance as this organization continues to grow. Now, two parts to this question. How are you finding these people? You know, I, I know you have um, or you may still have uh, the intern or coordinator nights where you bring out former coordinators who speak to their experience and it's a, we'll say a personal job fair for you guys. Um, but then are you using a source to have resumes fed to you? And then the second part of that is what advice would you give to someone who's trying to get either a coordinator or a, a full-time job, maybe who's someone who has five or six years of experience already? Sure. You know, a lot of it now has become LinkedIn. 
Um, I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. There's my um, there's my uh, props for LinkedIn on the on the course of this podcast. So sure, no, they're a sponsor. Oh, so that's great. Good. <laughs> good, good, good. Let me know. Let me know when that check comes in. Yeah. I've already nailed. I've already landed a sponsorship. I'm a, a couple episodes in, so it's going really good. well. Yeah, well, this will this will help the, uh, the the proof book you're putting together for them. <laughs> Even though this could potentially be the last episode, things are going great. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we, we use LinkedIn a lot um, for for making contacts. We use LinkedIn a lot for um, engaging with people within the industry that we think may have good candidates that they know. Um, you know, LinkedIn really has become uh, an awesome tool for us when it comes to um, trying to find and procure good talent. Um, you know, and the other source for us, obviously, is personal relationships. Um, you know, I, I like to say there's there's really no substitute for um, a personal relationship with somebody, and whether that's because it's somebody that we're going to hire or they know somebody. You know, if if you Jake pick up the phone and call me and say, "Listen, I've got somebody perk that I think is a perfect candidate. If you have a position, open up in media relations." That carries a lot of weight with us because you know the job, you know what that entails. And if you say this is somebody that could be a good candidate, then that's that certainly is going to carry some some significant weight with us. So, you know, a lot of it is is still personal relationships, and um, you know, it's it's networking. I think sometimes that word gets overused, um, but it is it, it's networking and personal relationships too. So, you know, when it comes to coordinators, um, you know, I, I we still do a networking night here in, in locally. Although, um, you know, you look at where our coordinators are coming from; they're coming from a much bigger geographic pool than they were a few years ago. Um, you know, I look around here; you got coordinators here from all over the United States that have joined us in the course of the summer. Um, again, a lot of that is, you know, somebody picked up a phone at a school and called somebody that they knew here and said, "Hey, I've got somebody here at, you know, at KU that we think would be a good fit for USA Baseball." And that opened the door for a conversation, and the person's resume, you know, went to the top of the pile. So, um, you know, similar to full-time employment, a lot of it is, is relationship building and getting to know people. Um, that said, you know, there's a fine line to walk. We have uh, we have a number of people that expressed interest in internships, and, you know, they can be a little overwhelming at times with how often they're following up and all the questions they want to ask. So, you know, it's, it's a fine line to walk as a candidate. Um, but certainly uh, getting to know people in the industry and spending time with them and having them reach out on your behalf if you're just starting is a great way to go. Now, how about this marketing person that you just brought on? Obviously, there there's a different candidate pool if it's a director of marketing versus a manager of marketing. Um, but for a small company, I know that you've got to consider a lot of different things. You know, how long can this person stay in that position uh, before they're going to look to grow and compensation and things like that? So what were you looking for in those candidates for you? Yeah. So Kristen, who's, who's our new assistant director of marketing is a, is a perfect example of somebody that came through our internship program last year uh, when she was wrapping up her junior year at Clemson. Um, she did a great job for us with her internship. She traveled to Los Angeles uh, for the presentation of the golden spikes award um, you know, the feedback we got on, on her work out there was tremendous, both from the Rod Dato Foundation, which is uh, intimately involved in the presentation of that award, but also our full-time staff that was out there. And she just made a really, really good impression on everybody. And when we sat down, actually it was um, this past January, and we began to look at some areas where we thought we may need some assistance, you know, the term marketing was thrown around. And um, the president of our board of directors, Mike Gasky, said, hey, have you thought about Kristen Krebs? She was tremendous at the Golden Spikes Award. 
And, um, you know, that kind of, that began the dialogue and the conversation. And that's where it really started. This is, it wasn't a position that we posted. This was a position where we knew we had a need. And after we thought about it, we, we decided we had the right candidate. We brought her in here for, for an interview and, um, and hired her. And so that's, you know, we like to say with internships, it's a, it's a three to six month interview that you're doing. Uh, and that, I think, certainly is a perfect example of how that process can work from internship to full-time employment here. Um, you know, for, for her specifically, you know, she's come in with a ton of energy. Um, everything that we've thrown at her, she's embraced, and she's been willing to, to go that extra step. And, you know, I don't know where it ends up for her long term, um, but certainly, um, you know, she is, she's been willing to accept everything we've asked her to do here and done a great job with it. So advice for someone who wants to get in the door. I, you know, I think the message is clear, specific to USA Baseball. The internship, the coordinator program is really your primary source of how do we bring on that next level of full-time, that permanent staff member. What advice would you give to someone, whether it's timing, whether it's just, hey, look at when we post things online, uh, how you would craft the resume, how you would reach out, don't reach out too much. Um, what does David Perkins like to see in a candidate? You know, my, my two biggest pieces of advice for people um, are, one, um, have something on your resume that sets you apart and show us, you know, as a potential employer, that you're doing something that goes above and beyond um, what most students are doing today. Um, you know, whether you've, whether you've got a skill that other people don't have that you've picked up on your own, show us that there is a level of energy um, and that you are willing to go above and beyond, you know, what most people are doing. Show us something that sets you apart. The other thing, and, you know, I, I think this is, this is something that, you know, I certainly feel is... Um, maybe become a little bit lost at times is from a degree standpoint and from a coursework standpoint. Um, you know, I, I have a finance background. That was what my major was in in college. You know, do I use a lot of finance here with USA Baseball? No, but I think that having that degree gave me some different skills, especially as I started here with the organization. And I think it's important for students when they're applying for an internship or a full-time position after they're done with school um, to have a skill set on their resume that transcends sports marketing. And, you know, whether that's economics, whether that's marketing, whether that's finance, whether that's accounting, um, you know, I always encourage students to have something on their resume that sets them apart from uh, simply sports marketing. Not that there's anything wrong with sports marketing on your resume, but, you know, what are you doing to bring to the table beyond, hey, I've got a sports marketing degree and I've done a couple of internships in sports. You know, if you have experience, whether that's uh, classroom work, or whether that's real-world experience in areas uh, beyond sports marketing, I think that is, is very advantageous. And that's something that I actually took away um, years ago from a conversation that I had with some friends in the industry. Um, you know, they were talking about the challenge of finding good people, and they specifically said the people that they like to hire typically have a, an econ or a finance degree. And, um, you know, because those people often have just a little different way of looking at things, they're comfortable working with numbers. Uh, they can get their arms around profit and loss, and no matter what industry you're in, both, that's a skill set or tools that you know can can be beneficial. So, you know, two little bits of advice that I like to give people, um, you know, when it comes to you know taking that next step, whether that's for an internship or a full time job. 
Sure. Now, you mentioned Paul Seiler, CEO of USA Baseball earlier, and I promise he's, he's not going to be listening. But what is the next step for a CEO of a national governing body? You know, I think, again, with you being there um, your whole career, it's unique for you. you know, let's go back. One, did you ever feel like that you would ever be in this position? Is this your goal? Is this your dream job? And two, do you ever aspire to or have you ever looked across at Paul and say, you know what, I would love to be the executive director of USA Baseball or another national governing body someday? Well, first, you're right. He probably will not be listening to this. A hundred percent. That was not a joke, right? Secondly, you probably do not want him to be a guest on the show because you'd have a seven-hour podcast. So, <laughs> I'm, oh, I know. Why do you think I started with the you? The podcast would start with 1978 and a uh, Oscar Mayer promotion, and about seven hours later, we'd be, you'd be wrapping it up. So. So I bought my first car in, you know what, Paul, let's do this. We're going to get this now. Paul, you know, the, yeah. you know, the red button. Why don't you go ahead and hit that right now? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, Paul became the CEO here in, in 2000, um, just after the Sydney Olympic Games. He had taken that team down to Sydney, uh, won a gold medal in the Olympics, uh, the second time USA Baseball used professional players in competition, the previous time had been um, the Pan Am Games the summer before, and um, he actually led both teams, uh, but came back from a gold medal with Sid from Sydney, and um, not long after that was um, officially put in the role of executive director of the organization. He'd been in an interim basis for about six to nine months at that point. Um, you know, he... Not long after he became executive director, um, began to take on more and more responsibilities internationally. So Paul works uh, very closely uh, and sits on a number of committees and boards within both our international federation, which is the WBSC, the World Baseball uh, Softball Confederation, and then our Continental Federation, which is called COPAPE. And so, you know, you kind of look at a, an evolution um, relative to his role and I think it's true for many um, executive directors and many presidents within the national governing body community is they have responsibilities above and beyond what happens domestically with their organization. Um, and that's especially true in the United States, where you know many countries, many IFs are looking to the United States um, in, in different ways. And so you know his role evolved very quickly from managing simply you know a domestic organization with six to eight full-time staff members to managing a growing organization domestically but also these international responsibilities and that's only grown over time you know we're going to find out later today uh, whether or not baseball and softball and several other sports are going to be back on the olympic program in 2020 that announcement will be made late this afternoon or this evening and Paul has been intimately involved in those conversations now going back probably a decade or so. Um, very much something that takes a lot of his time, keeps him out of the office at times, traveling domestically and a lot of international travel. Um, but you talk about kind of how these positions evolve, you can kind of see where that, um, where that has, has taken him over that time. You know, I've been very fortunate to have worked with him now for, for 15, 16, 17 years here. Um, and in many ways, I think kind of grown as he's grown in his role. Um, I've grown in my role, and he's given me uh, so much opportunity and freedom and flexibility um, that it really is tough to see, uh, for, for me to see myself working somewhere else. Um, we have a great culture here in the office, um, and it's, you know, it, it's not easy to think about, yeah, what would it be like to work somewhere else? When you come into work, you enjoy the people that you work with, um, you know, it's, it's tough to put a value on those kinds of things. 
And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it would, it would be tough to see yourself working somewhere else when you have this kind of an environment. So over the course of your career, any turning points, any hard decisions that you had to make? You, you mentioned baseball and softball trying to get back in the Olympics. I mean, there have been some, there have certainly been some lows. Um, a lot of times, or I should say early on, you know, USA Baseball funding was tied to their performance in international competitions. Uh, you know, you mentioned MLB and how that partnership has really helped turn things around. But for you personally, um, can you think of any points where either positive or negative, they were turning points in your career? Yeah, you know, I, I had a little different path than I think a lot of people um, relative to education and full-time employment. So, you know, I started at the University of Arizona. Um, again, I was from Tucson. My father was a professor there. had been a professor for 25, 30, 40 years. I mean, heck, he was there almost 50 years when he retired. Um, and I started, I spent two years in school there, and then I stepped away, which is a little different career path or education path than a lot of people probably had. And for two years, I took a class a semester and in many ways tried to kind of figure out what I wanted to um, what I wanted to do. You know, I, I thought at some points I wanted to work in the financial services industry. Um, there were just a lot of different things going through my mind in terms of what I wanted to do. And during those two years, um, you know, I got to do a lot of different stuff because I wasn't in school full time. And that really opened my eyes to, I think, different opportunities. And when I went back to school, um, I really kind of had a focus that, okay, you know, I want to work in business. Uh, I want to be able to work in marketing. And ultimately, I realized how much I enjoyed sports. And this was long before, um, you know, sports was hot like it is today. Um, there were only a few schools offering degree programs. Um, I was fortunate in that the University of Arizona had a sports marketing club within the athletic department. I want to say there were about five or six of us that were members. Um, but, you know, I had a little different career path in that I took those two years off. So I was a few years older than a lot of people when they graduated. Um, and, you know, I enjoyed my college years, but it allowed me a, an opportunity, I guess you'd say, in many ways to grow up. And that was that was probably the first big um, uh, the, certainly not regret or obstacle, but probably the, the first big transition point in my career, I guess I would say. Um, and then, you know, you had the move to North Carolina that we talked about earlier and, and kind of what that did for me personally. And, you know, I met my wife when I got back here and, and we got married. And, you know, so that certainly played into to kind of where things, you know, ended up here. And, and then you talked about what happened here, Jake, in 2004, which was a real financial challenge for the organization. And um, we were presented with, with a challenge based on some changes that were made with funding from the United States Olympic Committee. Um, you know, fortunately, I think we all looked at it as an opportunity, although there were some, some long days here trying to figure things out. Uh, I go back to, you know, to Paul's credit, he gave myself and, and at, at the time our CFO and some others here some flexibility to try to come up with a solution. And we did. And we came up with both a short-term solution to um, get some immediate funding in place. And then that challenge afforded us the opportunity to forge a long-term relationship with Major League Baseball. So, you know, you kind of look at some different things, whether it was me not doing, you know, college, university, like a lot of people do and taking some time off, you know, a move here to North Carolina. And then what happened in 2004 with the, you know, with the changes in the funding structure within the United States Olympic Committee. Um, you know, I, I like to look back, though, and say they were all great opportunities. 
and uh, I adjusted, and those around me adjust. I think we end up in a better place because of it. Interesting. Now, now what about you? What the CEO touches a lot of different areas of the organization. Um, is there one sweet spot? Do you feel like you have one specific functional area um, that you gravitate more toward? Um, just curious what your interests are, what really drives you. Yeah, I mean, day to day, as I said earlier, so much time is spent working with staff and staffing. Um, you know, what are we doing on the staffing side? What are we doing for hiring people? Uh, what are we doing to retain people? Um, you know, it's just a day-to-day constant conversation about that. And then there's always just the, the in and outs of, hey, I've got a quick question somebody will ask. Um, you know, so that takes, that takes up a good part of the day. Um, you know, if you want to talk about a sweet spot, you know, my experience prior to joining the organization uh, was in retail. And um, that was my first opportunity with the organization was on the retail side. I had a chance to really grow what was happening here at the time. And, you know, fast forward 10, 12 years later, um, you know, we really began to focus on what are we doing on the retail, both online and offline side of the organization and on the licensing side. And um, so, you know, I spend a lot of time focused on, on what are we doing here, uh, marketing of our retail program, uh, product development with our retail team here, um, and, you know, vendor relations, just a lot of different things that we're focused on on the retail side as we try to grow that. You know, retail is interesting because it's something that we truly own. It's our marks. It's our brand. Um, we own the distribution channels through our events. Uh, we currently have all of our e-commerce in-house. Um, and so it's, it's a unique opportunity and something that we have complete control over here. And that's exciting, but it also can be uh, scary at times. And as we look at growth, we feel like uh, e-commerce is especially an area that we feel will continue to have robust growth for the organization, both short-term and long-term. So, um, you know, a good amount of time spent on trying to figure out both short-term and long-term visions for that department. That's been a real game changer for you guys, I've noticed, over the last couple of years, the merchandise. Well, it's been, it's been something that's given us not only additional revenue for the organization, but it's extended the brand. And it's taken the brand to places where traditionally you wouldn't have seen it. And, you know, I get a, a weekly report on uh, sales by zip code and state on the e-commerce side. And it's neat to see, you know, sales coming in from places which you think to yourself, you know, previously we weren't moving a lot of product in North and South Dakota and in Alaska and in some of these other states that may not be traditional baseball states. And we may not also be getting a lot of teams from those states to our events. But suddenly, e-commerce opens up an entire opportunity for you to reach these, um, whether it's fans of the game or athletes. And one of the things I tell our e-commerce team on a regular basis, you know, I go back to it, if not, uh, if not monthly, you know, at least a couple times a year we talk about it. For most people that open up a box that has a piece of USA Baseball licensed apparel in it, that's as close as they're ever going to come to play on a national team. You know, the right. national team is a very finite pool of athletes, and we want that experience that they get wherever they are in this country, wherever they are internationally. We want that unboxing experience to be as close to what an athlete gets when he when he gets presented with his white USA Baseball home jersey for the first time. And in many ways, that's the way we look at it from the reach and the brand is we're trying to extend that feeling, that opportunity to somebody and get them as close as they can um, knowing that at the end of the day, you know, a few athletes, you know, it's only the, the pinnacle of athletes that will actually make a national team. 
Um, so e-commerce has afforded us really an incredible opportunity to extend our brand to places that otherwise it wouldn't have been. I can see someone else in the sports industry in a similar role as you looking at that and saying, wow, that's a really neat idea, just the trying to give someone that experience. On the flip side, is there, are there anyone in the sports industry, whether it's a team, whether it's an executive, that you look at and you say, you know what, they are doing it the right way, or just in general, not that you want to throw anyone under the bus, anything that just gets under your skin that you see being done in sports, whether it's you know, how things are marketed to how people are hiring uh, interns um, that you say, you know what, we're doing it wrong in sports. Yeah. You know, one of the companies, just general company and, you know, not necessarily specific executives there, but um, one of the companies that we have a partnership with, so in full disclosure, but I think does an incredible job on the branding side is New Era, um, the headwear company out of Buffalo, New York. Killing it. They are, um, what they do on the branding side for their brand and for their partners is, it's awesome. And, um, you know, so you look at what they're able to accomplish and you think, wow, these guys to your work, they're, they're killing it. I mean, they, they get it. They understand the marketplace. They understand, um, you know, that, that on-field line, but just as much they get the, the lifestyle line too. And um, the ideas, the innovations, the things coming out of those offices up there are awesome. And we go up there once or twice a year to meet with their team uh, to discuss USA Baseball. And, you know, it's always one of the best trips of the year um, that we get to take up there is to see those guys and the women up there and see what they're going to present. So, um, you know, they're a company that we continue to look to and say, wow, they really get it. Um, you know, if, if you want to go back a little bit, um, there was a gentleman by the name of Jack Kelly who had a long time history at the organization and, and Jack passed away a few years ago. Um, but he and I had gotten to know each other really from my very first days with USA baseball. And, um, Jack got it. Jack had been involved with a number of different Olympic games with the Olympic committee. He had overseen the Goodwill games when they were in Russia. Uh, one of Ted Turner's ventures a number of years ago, and Jack was an events guy. And something I always took away from Jack was uh, a line that he said to me not long after we first met, which is, you do business with friends. And he said, don't ever forget that. And this was long before social networking and networking were buzzwords. Um, and what he was saying was, ultimately, you know, it's the people that you know and that you trust um, that are the ones that you're going to be able to, uh, to work with day in and day out. And when it comes to sponsorship, when it comes to licensing opportunities, you do business with people that you know and that you trust. And I took that line away, you do business with friends. And, um, you know, I've, I've kind of tucked that in the back of my mind. It's something I often come back to. Um, and really somebody that was a mentor for me for a number of years um, and provided me with a lot of guidance over the years. Now, I know that you are a uh, lifelong learner. You're, you're big into newsletters and podcasts and emails. And a question that uh, I've asked now from past guests and I'd like to ask you, anything that you'd recommend, whether, again, it be podcasts or other media outlets, um, Twitter follows, anything along those lines that it really helps you personally or maybe that you would recommend someone getting out of college, someone looking to change their career and get more involved in sports? You know, I, um, I'm a, I, I like to follow politics. 
um, somewhat as a hobby, I guess you would say. All right, I got to stop, Perk. We're not going. We're not there. going there. Are we going there? We're not going there. We're not going there. Okay, all right. No, we're not going there. We're not going to get off. Oh yeah, that's a different podcast. This is a family podcast. That's a different okay. podcast. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a political junkie is the word that they use. But one of the things that I find most fascinating about politics is the strategy behind campaigns and um, the reach that campaigns have. How are they getting to people? Um, how are they soliciting people for donations? And this is not a specific party thing. This is just a general thing in politics, whether it's at the local level, whether it's a state election, whether it's a national election. Um, I really find the strategy behind campaigns to be interesting. And so, you know, you look at some of the things, you know, I, I just wrapped up reading David Axelrod's book on the uh, 2004 campaign called Believer. Um, and I found the strategy side of that to be really interesting. Um, you know, I, I watch the circus every Sunday now on Showtime. Um, it's off the air now for, for about a month or so, but, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy watching kind of the behind the scenes of the political campaigns and how everything comes together. You know, I can remember as a young kid, um, you know, I was fascinated by the street signs that went up for campaigns and I would talk to my dad about those and, and ask kind of what they were and, you know, again, it wasn't the candidates. It was about the colors. It was about the branding. Um, and this, of course, was long before you had the Internet and, and, and other um, electronic media Nin sources. 1968. This was 68. This was actually yep. the, the 72 election I'm referring to. Oh, my, my fault. Okay. But I, I found all of that to be really, really fascinating to me. And so this is a great year in terms of, um, you know, whether it's the 538 podcast, um, whether it's some of the other podcasts out there on the, on the political side. Um, the Axe Files, which is David Axelrod's uh, podcast. Um, you know, I really, and I really think this is a great time of year just to learn about um, what goes on behind the campaigns, the strategy, and, and everything that has to come together. So that's interesting. So you went a little out of the box. So nothing sports related. Would you say that that helps you recharge the batteries, or am I am I stretching it a little too far? No, I don't think you are. I don't think you stretch at all. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's great to get perspective from different industries. Um, you know, we talked earlier about this digital community concept that we've been talking a lot about in the office. And, you know, in many ways, some of those ideas are coming out of how does a political campaign work? How are they fundraising? How are they collecting contact information on people's events? Um, can those things somehow transcend into USA Baseball as a national governing body? And so I, I do. I, I like to get outside of sports. Um, doesn't mean that there aren't things that you know uh, that I'm not listening to and reading on a daily basis about sports, and I read SBJ Sports Business Journal every time it comes across. But you know, I like to get a different perspective on things. Uh, we talked about e-commerce earlier. You know, I, I listen to some of the Shopify podcast. Shopify is the platform that our e-commerce site sits on, um, and they have a number of podcasts. You know, that are about e-commerce and digital marketing. And so it's not sports-specific, but it certainly is an area that we're touching in both the e-commerce and the digital side. And so I like to listen to those things, too, to hear what's going on in other industries. Okay. You mentioned earlier, uh, talking about a digital community with the Babe Ruths, the, uh, the Little Leagues, your, your membership. Um, what else is on the horizon for USA Baseball? I, the last two or three years, just really, not to be too, too dramatic, but explosive growth. Um, so what does the next six months, 18 months down the line look like for you uh, and look like for the organization? 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing in front of us is you look ahead to 2017 from an on-field perspective is the World Baseball Classic. So uh, this will be the fourth uh, iteration of the WBC, as we call it for short. Uh, Joe Torrey is serving as the general manager of that team. Uh, Jim Leland will be the field manager. And next March, uh, Team USA will be back on the field in the World Baseball Classic. For us as an organization, uh, obviously it's a tremendous event um, from a baseball perspective, but it's also an incredible branding opportunity. And to, you know, to, to see a, an elite level major league baseball player, and we haven't put any names on this team, but you know, you look back a few years ago and it was Derek Jeter. Uh, you know, when you see a Derek Jeter in a USA baseball jersey, uh, and then you have a 15U national team and a 12U national team, and those athletes are wearing those same uniforms, um, it's a pretty awesome experience for the national team players. So, an incredible branding opportunity for us, a great baseball opportunity, um, and a way also for us to reconnect with many of the organization's alumni. You know, we were talking in the office yesterday about Willie Bloomquist. Willie had played on the 1998 collegiate national team and then was on the 2013 World Baseball Classic team. So, you know, a number of years between those, almost, you know, what, 15 years or so? Um, but it's a, you know, as an alumni of ours, it's a great opportunity to connect with guys like that that are that are playing at that, you know, at that elite major league baseball level. So that is uh, certainly on our horizon for next year, um, and in front of us relative to where a lot of our energy will be over the next six to nine months. All right. So wrapping up, I know that you have golfed a lot in the past. I don't know how much golf you're playing now. So uh, a question I've asked is who makes up your ideal foursome um i i wondered if i should do something like who would be your three four five hitters but that seemed a little hokey um so let me just put it like this since you're a big events guy um what sporting event you can either give me one that you've attended that just blew you away or is there one that you haven't attended that's on a bucket list or is there an athlete that you've always wanted to meet and i don't want to hear you say damon stoudemire or another arizona (laughs) basketball player um but either event that was good or athlete, you, you, went back, you went way back to, to get david stoudemire oh come on man the, the old purple dinosaur jerseys <laughs> uh t- toronto raptors come on um but you know sporting event athlete or even executive um that you've looked up to uh really wish that you could attend um that uh that you'd like to attend you know, I, I had the opportunity to attend the Indy 500 a number of times, and that was on my bucket list. Um, I wanted to go and see it as much because I heard so much about the scope of the event. You know, 300,000 people, 400,000 people at one location for a sporting event. And it was everything that I had heard about it and more. And, um, you know, I, I really encourage anybody who um, works in sports, has an interest in sports, um, even if you're not a big racing fan, um, it's an event to be seen at least once in your life. You know, everything from the logistics of how they get, you know, 300,000 people in and out of there so easily, I'm amazed by. Um, and then just the race itself, it's, it's an incredible couple of hours. So the Indy 500 was always on my list, and I've been fortunate to attend that a couple of times. Um, you know, it's not Damon Stoudemire, Jake, but... I guess the ultimate bucket list for me on, on a sports side would be to see the Arizona Wildcats in the Rose Bowl. So that may be a, um, a long way wow. off. We've been waiting 30 years for that to happen. Um, they are the one Pac-12 team, actually the one original Pac-10 teams uh, that has not played in the Rose Bowl. 
And uh, if that date comes, you can bet I'll be on a point out to Pasadena to see that game. Just curious, as an Arizona guy, did you see Gronkowski coming? Did you did you foresee this? Well, remember, he didn't play his last year in Arizona because he was injured. So he had had a fantastic, I guess it was sophomore season, um, and was he was a, a very, very good college football player his sophomore season. Um, and then he got hurt in the offseason, uh, I believe was when he got hurt. And so he didn't really play his, his I guess it would have been his junior season. Huh, I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, so you know, I think people in Arizona knew he was he was a good athlete, he was a great player, but I think nationally because he didn't play that year prior to the draft, um, you know, on the on the national scale, he may not have had that uh, that awareness that some other athletes had. Yeah. Having pushed at USA Baseball for a living for several years, um, I know that people could follow the organization there. And I remember running contests desperately trying to get the follower count to 3000 people, which sounds like a joke now. And it makes me sound like I was also born in 68 along with you. But uh, personally, where could people find you on social media? Um, are you active on one channel more than another? Yeah. The best place to find me is on Twitter. Um, my username is David P Perkins on Twitter. And that's the best place to, to track me down. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so I encourage people to try to track me down on LinkedIn. Um, you know, that's actually probably where I spend the bulk of my time these days, as I alluded to earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not just because of USA Baseball, but also because I've got so many contacts or connections there. Um, so those are really kind of the two channels where I spend the most of my time from a work standpoint. I'm active on other channels, but really those are the two big work ones for me. And while I've got you... Instagram stories. Yeah. How did that, did that send ripples through your digital media team last night? No, I don't think it sent ripples through the digital media team. I think it was, you know, as they've read about it, as they've heard more about it, as we sat down and talked about it, I think they see it as an exciting opportunity. And I think ultimately, you know, from what we've seen of it, you know, obviously a lot of people are saying this is just Snapchat, right? They've basically just, just taken Snapchat and, and put it under an Instagram uh, banner the thing Instagram has going for it is it's so intuitive. And right. I think so many people find Snapchat um, challenging to use. And I think, you know, if Instagram can pull this off with how intuitive their platform is, um, it has the potential to be pretty powerful. So Yeah, this is trouble for Snapchat. I, I think uh, maybe it's because I'm old and I'm not on Snapchat as much. Uh, I've said in the past, if you're over 30, or I think Bill Simmons, I heard him say it, if you're over 30 and you say that you know how to use Snapchat, you're lying. Um, I'm on Instagram a lot already, and I use that to push to other channels. And if I can integrate you know, the really neat things about Snapchat, which are the, the stories, uh, into Instagram, I, I don't see me really ever leaving that app. You know, Instagram is such an incredibly powerful branding tool. Um, and, you know, I've, I've certainly been on Snapchat. You know, we have an active presence on Snapchat um, as an organization. And, you know, for, for our athletes, especially those that are kind of in that 15 and under demographic, Snapchat is incredibly popular. Um, but Instagram is such a, an incredible branding tool. And as I said earlier, it's intuitive. It, it's relatively easy to use for people. Right. And, um, you know, you combine those two things and it's it's a it's an awesome platform. And yet somehow I couldn't figure out Instagram before I left (laughs) USA Baseball. If you look at the beginning of my personal account on Instagram, it's 
all of these uh, youth baseball players sprinting with the most obnoxious filters put on them, and then I would share them to the channel. So I thought you were going to how, say there's pictures of food at Moe's that you were. Yeah, uh, well, there it was also that too. So how far all of us have come? Well, uh, Perk, as I so affectionately refer to you as David, um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it was great to hear a little bit more about your career. Uh, how you developed over the last decade plus, and just all the exciting things that are going on with USA Baseball. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jake, and uh, we'll certainly keep in touch. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 